Good evening. My name is Nathan. I'm an alcoholic. Everybody hear me all right? Thank you, Rick, for asking me to speak. Um, it's an honor and a privilege to be here, and it's because of God's grace and the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous that I'm able to be here and not somewhere under the influence of alcohol or other drugs. Um, and it's with God's grace in this fellowship. I've not found it necessary to take a drug or drink since May 4th of 2018. I have a sponsor he just met. He has a sponsor, so on down the line. And that's how I've learned this thing works. We keep our sobriety by giving it away. Um, I have a home group, Courage to Change, Tuesday nights at 8 o'clock. It's a men's meeting at Centenary Methodist Church. Please come check us out if you have not. Great group, good sobriety. Um, I've maintained a service commitment throughout sobriety once I was eligible. Started with Cone Behavioral, now I do Guilford County Jail every fourth Monday of the month. And that's what's kept me sober, helping others. Um, the big book suggests we, we tell you guys what it was like and what happened and what it's like today. I'm going to do that to the best of my ability and be open and honest with you guys. Because a lot of times I was not open and honest before recovery and it, it took me to some dark places. Um, so what it was like was pretty uh, average, middle-class family, a loving, white, loving mom and dad. Wife came later. Um, uh, I, have a, I have a younger sister who's not one of us. I've thought many times about environment, how that may affect people. Um, she grew up in the same environment. She has a glass of wine with dinner, and that's it, and I don't get that. Um, so, yeah, just a, a loving family. I will say my dad's family, there, there's, there's some history of, of addiction and alcoholism in my dad's family. And I will say that it kind of gave me, the, I didn't see the consequences of it, so it gave me an impression that, that you just drank at social occasions and parties and holidays, people drank. It's what adults did. And I was kind of, I guess, desensitized to alcohol at a young age and thought that's just what people did. So... Once I was able, um, I started to participate. So aside from SIPs as, you know, very young, my first night out, so to speak, it was the summer going into seventh grade. So that made me 12 years old. And it was malt liquor and uh, some white owl blunts, which some of you guys know about. Um, and that kind of started a pattern of behavior of, of this partying that that's just what people did. Um, I played sports all my life, I excelled at sports, but they kind of took a back seat um, once I started running with some people and letting, you know, letting myself change my priorities because I wanted to change how I felt. And it's not like I was running from anything, nothing traumatic, I just liked to, to have uh, to party, for lack of a better word. Um, so through high school, basically a daily user of, of something since I was 16. My first legal consequence was 16 years old. I ended up with eight charges all at once. Um, that was resisting arrest, assaulting a government official, failure to disperse, possession of uh, marijuana, possession intent to distribute, possession paraphernalia, consumption of alcohol underage, possession of alcohol underage. And for many years I blamed, it was always somebody else's fault. Um, I had a Jeep Cherokee and I was at a, a house party, a high school house party, and 
had I had a trunk, like a sedan, they would have never seen a case of Bud Light in the back of my Jeep. So, so what happened, this guy, the police officer, we, we were asked to leave the party, bangs on the door, out of the car now, and I say, well, he, he trips on the curb and falls down, and that was his fault for having his heel against the curb, not my fault for overreacting. Um, so anyway, and, and these legal consequences I could go on and on with, and we'll get to a few more, but it was always law enforcement's fault. Or maybe if I would have had a trunk and not an open Jeep, they'd have never seen that. It was never my behavior or my actions, uh, not until recovery that I realized, you know, this is me putting myself in these situations to, to cause harm to myself and others. My sophomore year of high school, I missed 100-some days. The school year is 180, give or take. I did, not have, uh, I did not have a chronic illness or anything like that. I was just out and about doing my thing. When, when I got my license, I treated my vehicle like a hotel room on wheels. That's how I lived. That's how I treated that Jeep was as a, you know, the travel lodge on High Point Road. We spent some time there. They would let us in, wouldn't question how old we were. And, and so that behavior of the efforts, the uh, I don't need to take care of my responsibilities, it's just school, what's the big deal? That landed me at Hargrave Military Academy, the excessive absences and the legal consequences. Um, I go to Hargrave and I excelled at Hargrave. I, had, I was a straight A student and captain of the basketball team. And my life may have taken a different, I may have taken a different path had I not chosen to get high and drunk over Christmas break. Um, you sign a contract to be drug and alcohol free on or off campus there. And I was expelled for, uh, for weed. So my dad lost the tuition up front. You pay up front to go there. That's a, a living amends that my dad and I are able to make today because of recovery. Um, but that set me back a year in school. So that was January of 1999. And so from missing all those days my sophomore year and then all the credits from Hargrave didn't transfer back to Guilford County. So now I'm basically a sophomore, really just a freshman in high school at 17 years old. Somehow, um, but when I get expelled from Hargrave, I have to go to a place called Scales, School Community Alternative Learning Environment System. Back in the day, I said it was an acronym for BS. Again, placing blame on Guilford County and Principal Jane Teague for not allowing me to come back to Grimsley High School because what I did at Hargrave has nothing to do with Grimsley High School. My behavior in Chatham, Virginia shouldn't affect what's going on in Greensboro, North Carolina. That was my arrogance and my attitude to, to Principal Teague, uh, who I see at, at church now. She goes to my parents' church still, um, and she's happy for me now. Um, <laughs> so are a lot of other people too. Um, so again, the, the behavior of just partying all the time, skipping school, I, I, man, I graduate on time, taking a, a excessive load of classes, a marketing co-op deal that gave me some extra credits. Um, I had to give up basketball that year, my senior year to do that marketing co-op because of the work schedules demands. Um, so sports again, just got set aside because I like to do other things. Um, so I get into Brevard College because they have a 100% acceptance rate. 
That's a little place in Transylvania County, North Carolina, just southwest of Brevard, or just southwest of Asheville. Absolutely miserable there. Not many people who uh, shared my lifestyle and my interests. Um, I uh, somehow get in a fight. There's a lot of hippies up there. Nobody, nobody gets in a fight at a house party there, and I managed to uh, to make that happen. Um, I don't remember why. Don knows that story. I don't know how to make amends to him, so I'll just pray for him wherever he is. I hope he's doing all right. Um, so, spend three semesters at Brevard. Again, this lifestyle is continuing. I'm a daily user, a daily drinker now at 20 years old. So, about 20 years of daily use from 16 on, daily drinker from 20 years on. So, I get uh, three semesters in at Brevard, get to Appalachian State. They take me as a transfer. And I get my first DUI there. Let me back up a little bit. I got charged with driving after consuming when I was 18 here in Greensboro. So I've joked with Don that I have two and a half DUIs. I don't have three. Because um, one was just driving, you know, under the age of 21, under the influence. So not quite a .08. But again, just making excuses. Not doing the right thing and making an excuse as to why it's okay. The, but Justin, also about that story... A state trooper pulled me over on Spring Garden Street. I don't know if he was substituting for a UNCG cop, but that was my story for years, was that if this state trooper had not been substituting for a UNCG officer, I'd have never been pulled over. The UNCG cop would have never realized I was spinning a wheel at the Shell Station on the corner of Spring Garden and Mayflower. Um, again, just stinking thinking and, and piss-poor behavior. Um, so that... That uh, caused my license to be suspended for a year. Fast forward, December of 2004, I'm leaving a bar called Meadowbrook Inn in Blowing Rock. And this is important because you couldn't get liquor by the drink in Boone. So again, this is Watauga County's fault, making me have to drive 10 miles down 321 <laughs> so we can go have shots and not just have to drink beer all night, which was my drink of choice anyway, but not my girlfriend's. So I leave this bar and I forget to turn my lights on. I'm driving a 1998 Ford Taurus station wagon. That Jeep had been totaled by a meth head. That's another story. We won't have time for that. Um, so I get charged with a DUI. I refuse to blow. I'd, have, I'd been drinking all day. There were some other uh, drugs in my system, the kind that keeps you up and, and going. And I'm a high-energy person anyway. I don't need anything to jack me up. And that, that really affected my behavior uh, in, in a negative way. So, and I passed all those sobriety tests, and for, and for me, that was a great thing that I'm telling my lawyer, look, the cop even said it. He was perplexed. I was, I was standing on my tiptoes. I was saying my ABCs backwards to the letter T. He didn't even ask me to do that. And I'm like, Z-Y-X, U-T-W. <laughs> and, and my lawyer's just like, calm down. Let's just hold your horses. So... From 2004, December 04, that's that story. I didn't have my license from December of 04. I didn't drive legally from December of 04 until June of 2013. That's eight and a half years without a license. The license is a privilege. I didn't look at it like that. That DUI from 04 was not settled in court and I get another one in May of 06 this time for an unsafe maneuver in a Ford F-150 that wasn't mine with a license plate that said fun parks that's important because 
that was my excuse. It had that license plate not said Fun Parks. The, the owner of the vehicle owned an amusement park in Boone. It was called Fun Parks. So that was a red flag for the police officer. So I tell my lawyer that, you know, had this not had a custom license plate that said Fun Parks, never mind that it's 3.30 in the morning and I'm leaving the Green Park Inn and Blowing Rock, 3.30 in the morning had nothing to do with it. It was the license plate. So there I am. Meanwhile, I'm in school. My, that semester, that, uh, back in 05, I had 12 hours, which is the minimum you can take. That's four classes, all right? And I had two C's and two F's. The C's was in one that was called Advanced Career Strategies. Total BS. I don't even know what it was. And I forget, I can't even tell you the other class I had a C in, failed statistics and failed accounting. I would go into this accounting class. She had a roster for attendance. I'd sign the roster. I'd leave. I did that all semester. And I'm wondering why I'm failing this class. And I asked her, she said, all you've done is sign the sheet all, all semester. What do you think? And I, what I would do, I'd sign that sheet. There was a place called McAdoo's on King Street in Boone. I'd leave and go to McAdoo's and drink pints of Bush Light for like $1.25. Um, so this behavior, again, all these legal consequences didn't affect me. I, I did IOPs to appease the courts. It's funny looking back on it, no one ever mentioned AA to me. I, my lawyer did tell me one time, he said, Nathan, I think you may have a problem with alcohol. I said, nah, man, no, I'm good. This is, uh, this is everybody else's situation, Watauga County. I'm good, I'm fine. That was my answer for many years. I'm good, I'm fine. Um, I managed to graduate, no license. So I was not able to take a few job opportunities. Uh, it's hard to, uh, to get around with, without a license, as some of you may know. Um, so I moved back home. I moved with my parents from 2007 till 20, till 09. I spent two years at home um, and drank and drank a lot. And in my isolation came at, at, at the beginning, looking back, everything, I was with everybody. I was social, um, liked to participate in things, liked to be a part of. And then through the progression of alcoholism, I end up just being by myself and really not thinking anything of it because I just, I know how I want to drink. You may not want to drink like me, so F you, and I'll be by myself with a case of Budweiser. And that's what I did all day, every day. And so I managed to be gainfully employed uh, through a family friend, gave me a job, so I would be sober enough to work. During those times without a license, I would pack about six or seven Budweiser's in a book bag and I would drink those before lunch. I would go drink at lunch, then I'd have five or six more in the afternoon. So just throughout the day of work, at least a 12-pack just for my maintenance, my, what I thought, I thought that I needed it. And I get to the point where I don't want it, but I got to have it. At least I think I have to have it. So what happens is I actually meet my wife in 2010. Um, we're still married today. That's a miracle in itself. Um, but she made me slow down a little bit. So I managed, and I hid my alcoholism well enough to where she didn't think that I really had a problem. I, I get my license back. I, I get a good job. I'm making good money now. And that, to me, I'm okay. An alcoholic, to me, is you know, someone who's not working monetarily insufficient, not able to pay bills. And that's not true at all. And, and I've learned that Alcoholics come in all kinds of varieties, and, and it's all right to be an alcoholic. I didn't think that, that at all before I got here. Um, I know that 
for me, I thought for a long time about quitting after this thing progressed, but I only thought about quitting when I was under the influence. If I was not under the influence, first I had to get my head right before I could really do anything. And this maintenance led to physical consequences, throwing up most every morning. Um, let me back up a little bit to from 20, so from 2013 or 2010, I'm suspended for six years, license, suspended four years, I'm sorry. I get the ignition interlock for three years on my vehicle. I blow a .06 during the, uh, to get it installed on my car, I blow a .06. And I told, tell the guy I didn't come prepared to blow today. So I'm not getting my license till tomorrow. And this is 2 o'clock in the afternoon, give or take, and I'm at a .06. And the guy's just kind of like, yeah, we're going to see you again. Um, and my wife's with me, my, my fiancé at that point. Not even fiancé at that point. Um, so anyway, I set that thing off, that ignition interlock, about a week after having it one morning, after being out at Suds and Duds on Walker Avenue, and I realized that there's a thing called residual alcohol. So it stays in your system. So I blew, I blew like a .07. Might tell my boss can't come, can't get my car to work. My boss comes to get me. We come back at lunch, blow a .04 at lunch. I've gone down three tenths in four or five hours, whatever. Um, so I buy myself a breathalyzer. First, I had to go get it recalibrated, and he tells me the deal. You know, if you drink, it's going to be in your system, dummy. You can't, you got to give it some time before you start your vehicle. So I buy a breathalyzer from Amazon and I figured out that I could drink 15 Budweiser's before midnight and I could blow at 7 a.m. Non-alcoholics don't buy themselves a breathalyzer, much less measure the quantity that they can consume so they'll be able to start their vehicle in the morning. And this again, I'm not thinking I have a problem. This is all, this is this damn machine's fault on my car. And we call it the blow and go, and it, it's it's a Dewey. It's driving under the influence, and it's an ignition interlock system. It's very serious, and it means you might have a problem with alcohol. But again, I don't realize that. So this behavior continues. My drinking daily continues. I manage to start my vehicle in the morning, go to work, then I'd pound at night. My vehicle would not leave from Friday afternoon till Monday morning. I'd start having anxiety Sunday morning about maybe not being able to start my vehicle and explaining to Fred, my boss, that I'm not going to be able to drive my vehicle till maybe lunchtime on Monday, if I'm lucky. And again, not thinking anything's a problem. So, and again, I'm managing everything well enough to be okay, I guess. I'm thinking I'm okay. I'm really not. Um, there's a lot of mornings I'm looking in the mirror after throwing up saying you need to slow down. You need to give yourself a break. But then I thought, well, let me get my head right for a minute. And then 18 beers later or so, then I can really have a serious moment to myself and some deep thought and meditation. Um, so we're going to fast forward now. We, I get married in 2014. I wasn't able to go ask my, my future father-in-law. I couldn't ask him to marry my wife till I could drive to his house in Fayetteville to ask him permission to marry her. So that's what delayed the marriage a little bit. So, and mind you, I've got this blow box on the car, the ignition interlock. And so my thought is I'm not going to be able to drink till I get back from Fayetteville today. This is a pain in the ass. I mean, what, what pitiful, selfish thinking. Um, I managed to drive to Fayetteville after work have a dinner, tell them I got to get back home, you know, I got things to do, and I didn't have anything to do but drink, and I can't drink 
because my car's in Fayetteville, so I got to get the car to Greensboro. He lets me marry her. He says yes. He and I have a great relationship today. It's, it's really cool. It's really amazing. Um, so we're married October 4th of 2014, and um, I'm also taking Adderall throughout this time because I'm ADD. I haven't had Adderall since I left the hall. Talked to Cyrus out there at the hall. Um, I was going to keep taking Adderall in sobriety because I needed it to focus on my responsibilities at work. <laughs> I needed the Adderall so I could, you know, be able to drink as much as I wanted to. That's, that's the truth, to be honest with myself. Um, so in taking all that Adderall for, you know, from college on, basically, and drinking every day, my, I didn't go to the doctor before I was married from, you know, except for flu shots when they make you do it in school and whatnot. Um, but evidently I had high blood pressure. So um, when I start going to the doctor after my wife insists that I go get these physicals and whatnot that most normal people do, um, I'm averaging like 140 over 100, give or take. So just a little elevated blood pressure, hypertension, they call it. Um, and I'm like, you know, it runs in my family. Well, so does alcoholism, but I didn't mention that. Um, and I'm not being honest with him about my consumption. So the conversation for a few years was just cut back. And I'm telling him I'm drinking, you know, three or four beers a day. And he's like, that's a lot. And I'm like, well, it's really like 15 to 20, <laughs> you know, on a Tuesday. We're not counting Saturdays, you know, or anything like that. Um, this is just a good Tuesday night um, is 20. So, um so the conversation is, you know, cut back, diet, exercise, which all were not good at all. Um, and what happens is I start having blood in my stool. And this starts to happen not just occasionally. This starts to happen on a daily basis. So this is concerning, you know, as much as I want to be in denial, what I'm seeing in the morning in my commode it is worrying me. So I finally tell Catherine, my wife, I go to the doctor, something's not right with my stomach. I think I got hemorrhoids or something. And so I tell him what's going on. He sends me to a lady named Dr. Mann. And she, um, they do a colonoscopy. I'm 35 at this point, having a colonoscopy done with no history of any issues like that. So you shouldn't have to have a colonoscopy at 35. And they do that. They're ruling out colon cancer. And they come back and say, you know, your colon is fine. It's that you have an enlarged stomach and you have fatty liver disease at 35. And it, so the conversation goes from cutting back to you have to stop. If you continue doing whatever it is that you're doing, you can expect to live to be about 48 or 50 years old if you're lucky. This is November of 2017. I'm in her doctor's office, and this is the first person I ever say, I'm an alcoholic. First time ever. And it felt, my wife was in the room, and I kind of, I just got a little chill thinking about it right now. I remember it like it was yesterday. I was, uh, I was beat up enough, and I, I was so tired. I got to the point where, again, didn't, didn't want it, but thought I had to have it. And so this is November 17th. So the, the conversation is stop. I'm saying, okay, I can do that. I try to go a weekend. I'm not doing very well a couple weeks in trying to stop on my own. Every day I keep saying tomorrow, tomorrow, tomorrow. Tomorrow never comes. It's one of our best prayers in here, one of my favorites. This 
me idea of getting sober was just stopping and I've learned that sobriety has a lot more than than just not taking alcohol and other drugs um so I tried I'm, I'm not doing well I tell Catherine look I'm gonna try to stop okay mind you we have two young children at this point um actually she's pregnant at this point Eli is not quite two so there's a lot of stress um with her pregnancy and a, and a young you know year and a half old son um I try to go a weekend without drinking and I'm in our guest room. That I drink Friday night, mind you, because Friday night doesn't really count. <laughs> and so this is Saturday now. It's Saturday about 11 o'clock. I'm sweating. I'm not quite shaking, but I'm, I'm throwing up. And what's happening is I'm going through withdrawal. I've had it, you know, I wasn't necessarily wasted every day for those 20 years, but I had it in my system, except for being in jail a few times. I've had it in my system every day for 20 years. And my body is going through withdrawal. I don't look at it like that. I'm just thinking, man, I'm hung over. No, I'm going through withdrawal. I tell Catherine, um, you know, I don't feel good. And then so I start drinking. That's a Saturday. This is in January. It took me until May uh, to get to the hall. And what I'd start doing in that five months I'd leave to go to work or tell her I was going to work when she was in town, and I'd go to this car wash on Merritt Drive, and I'd sit in a car wash stall, and I'd call customers in Winston and tell them I'm in Reedsville, tell Reedsville I'm in Winston, and vice versa, all over. And I'd sit there and hide in this car wash stall with a cooler full of beer, and I would drink all day. I had one office day a week. I had an office day on Thursdays. It came to where I would dread. I couldn't pull myself together for one day just to be in an office just for one day. I couldn't do it. I left one day. I remember leaving, going to a quality mart. And this is when it really hit me. I, I have a problem. I go and get two of those big Budweiser's out of the ice and I chug. So that's 48 ounces, 24 ounces times two. And I do that in like three minutes. And it's really cold. It's burning. And I, and I throw up and I'm dressed for work and I'm throwing up behind a dumpster at a quality mart in Kernersville. And I'm like, man, Something's got to change. Doesn't change yet, though, so I'm still not quite done. Um, takes a few more months of that behavioral, that, that behavior and, and going to those car washes, going to that car wash. I leave that car wash one day. This is, May, this is on a Monday. I had a friend check himself into Fellowship Hall that January of 18, and he kind of showed me the way, at least put in my mind, that, you know, there's, there's help out there if you want it. So I tell, I, I'm at that car wash, and I finally call my wife and say, look, I've got a problem. I've been drinking a lot more than you think I've been drinking. I'm sitting at this car wash on Merritt Drive. I've got a problem. I cannot stop. And she says, okay, what do you want to do? And I say, will you call that place that John went? She says, all right. She calls Fellowship Hall. That was on May 2nd. That was a Monday. I checked in on May 3rd, a Wednesday, and that May 4th is my sobriety date to this day because of this fellowship and because of the advice of the staff at Fellowship Hall. And knowing that what, what I know now is that all it takes is some willingness and a little effort and honesty. Just be honest with yourself. And there's a story in the back of the book that's Crossing the River of Denial, and this lady talks about where she, find, she finds herself where 
I can't, if I, I find that if I enjoy it, I cannot control it. And if I control it, I cannot enjoy it. So why bother? Kind of gave me an epiphany. If I can't have 20, I don't want one. My whole life's history from adolescence on shows me I don't drink successfully. I've never had any great success story under the influence of anything. So just accept that and just understand that you can't have one. Again, I'm projecting down the road. When I'm in there in the hall, I'm thinking, man, you know, I got 4th of July when I get out of here. Like, who gives a shit about 4th of July? Just go enjoy it. Talk to your sponsor. Make a phone call. Um, the first couple weeks in there were, um, I, I thought that my life was over. I thought that I had put myself in the worst, worst possible place. And it was actually the best possible place for me. And becoming an alcoholic, which I thought, again, all these things like worthlessness, uselessness, pitiful, all that doesn't have to be the case if you're an alcoholic. You can be prosperous. You can have traits like courage. You can live happy, joyous, and free and still be an alcoholic. I'm not cured of it. Never will be cured of it. But I can leave it alone today just based on my spiritual maintenance and the fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous. Also know that I'm not alone. I'm not the only person who's been in a car wash sitting there drinking, thinking they might have a problem. I was thinking somebody somewhere is drinking in a car wash. It's probably okay. You know, somebody's doing it. I've also learned to make peace with my past and have faith in the future. A lot of wreckage, a lot of relationships, a lot of disappointment, but that's all right. It's done. Don't forget about it. I mean, don't, you know, I, I have some regrets. Hargrave, I regret that, but it's all right. I'm where I'm supposed to be, where I'm supposed to be right now. It's all right. Working these steps with Don changed my attitude and outlook like I could never imagine. Didn't think it was possible. The freedom that comes with sobriety, I never thought about the freedom. It's a pain in the ass maintaining substance abuse. And it's really annoying at some point when you're throwing up and, and your body's falling apart and you still feel that you have to have it. That's a disease. It's an allergy of the body and an obsession of the mind. My spiritual awakening didn't happen overnight. It wasn't this burning bush moment. But I realized a few months in, by seeking a relationship with my higher power that I call God, by saying a simple prayer in the morning and a prayer in the evening, I realized a few months in, I haven't thought about drinking today. Didn't think that was possible. It happened. I have not. Don and I had lunch the other day. We're sitting at a restaurant that's got a big bar, all kinds of bottles. I'm drinking a Diet Coke. Until he and I start talking about recovery, I hadn't thought one second about what's behind that bar. I'm just there to eat lunch with my sponsor. That in itself is a miracle, that I can go throughout a day without the obsession, without feeling like I have to have it. Didn't think that was possible. And that's something that I'm not only grateful for, I, I'm beyond words. I, I can't describe how that makes me feel. I, I get a chill thinking about it. I know... Today, 
although I've made mistakes, some things didn't work out how I wanted them to work out, it's going to be all right. My worst day in sobriety, 10, many, many times better than my best day in active addiction. So I don't have to worry about all the garbage. Don't have to worry about the hangovers. Don't have to worry about the lies. I, I can be a good employee. I can be a good husband. I can be a good father. I'm not telling my two-year-old to give me a moment. Hold on. Daddy's got to get his head right. I can't play with you right now. I'm a little too hungover if I was honest with myself. And don't have to live like that today. And it feels good. Um... I hope I've said something tonight that's helped somebody realize that you don't have to live life, you know, with being under the influence of drugs and alcohol is a prison. It's a prison of your body, prison of your mind. And sobriety, recovery, working these steps, the Fellowship of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's the most liberating experience I've ever had in my life. I've got a lot of good friends in this room. I don't have any fear. I'm not worried about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be all right. Really not concerned about yesterday. Might learn from it. Try to improve upon it, but I'm not worried about it. I just want to read something uh, from the big book to close with. And acceptance is the answer to all my problems today. When I'm disturbed, it is because I find some person, place, thing, or situation, some fact of my life unacceptable to me. And I can find no serenity until I accept that person, place, thing, or situation as being exactly the way it is supposed to be at this moment. Nothing, absolutely nothing happens in God's world by mistake. Until I could accept my alcoholism, I could not stay sober. Unless I accept life completely on life's terms, I cannot be happy. I need to concentrate not so, what, not so much on what needs to be changed in the world as on what needs to be changed in me and in my attitudes. And I have found by doing that, having some acceptance, some humility, that I'm living life one day at a time, happy, joyous, and free. I'm Nathan. I'm an alcoholic. Thanks for listening. <laughs>